Bali was a bit of a surprise packet of the 2019 election, being the last seat called by the Australian Electoral Commission almost a month after the election. The Nationals suffered a 28% primary vote swing against them. Today, I'm talking to Ray Kingston, one of the three climate-focused independents that shared over 21% of the primary vote in 2019. Good morning, Ray, and thank you very much for spending the time to talk with me today. Good morning, Leslie. Yeah, no, no trouble. Good fun. For those um, that don't know you, Ray, could you give us a brief history of you and why you put your hand up to run in the 2019 election? Uh, okay, so um, Cedar Mallee, northwest Victoria, which is where I grew up. I did spend a few years in Melbourne, and um, I found myself drawn to kind of. Uh, I found myself very drawn to community when I moved home to to go back on the farm, and um, that sort of made me found a pathway to local government for uh, about eight years, two terms. And on the far side of, I guess, local government was like a bit of an education in public life, but, but also an eye-opener as to, I guess, how things do and, and perhaps more, more importantly don't work in the for, um, regional rural areas, certainly where I live, in terms of it's all sorts of, you know, boring stuff, services, you know, just the, the basics, let alone the dysfunctional, of, I guess, glimpses into dysfunction at other levels of government as well. Um, I... Then on the finished up on local government and was getting finding myself increasingly frustrated with um, both how well Mally was serviced, you know, in, in basic terms. But it was really clear to me that you know that there's that kind of um, what do you word, the word is it, it, there's the strategic disadvantage of a safe seat, as in you just clearly don't get as much uh, attention and money, etc. But I also noticed really clearly a creep of our, our member at the time was becoming uh, more brazen in his kind of arrogance and the way he was dealing with the public. And, and I, I really saw that as an incredible problem with a safe seat as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I decided that someone had to run. It was very clear someone had to run. And you, you look around the room, the Mallee being a very big room, and... There's only so many of us who've got a bit of a profile from my time as mayor. I had a, I, I managed to um, I, I kind of uh, my claim to fame as mayor was we got the Silo Art Trail off the ground. So I figured we, that was an opportunity to leverage the, the popularity of that project. Um, you've got a, your time in local government and probably a long interest in politics gives you a bit of a skill set and a bit of you know, basic media training and all that sort of stuff. So. Um, I thought I was as well-placed as anyone, and I thought it was really clear that someone had to. Um, so kicked about it with some key friends, kicked about with some key friends for a fair while, and decided to run, yeah, as an independent. I was also really inspired by the, by the experience in Indi, I must say. That was pretty informative too. And what did you learn through that process of running through that, in that campaign? Um, it was, it surprised me what a positive experience it was. You know, everyone sort of, whether outsiders or even yourself, has prepped yourself for, you know, it's going to be mean and nasty and, um, and there's going to be dirty tricks and all that sort of stuff, which, you know, there was a modest amount of that sort of 
sort of thing. But actually, it was an incredibly affirming experience of what I already loved about rural communities. The campaign basically consisted of me tripping around the countryside in towns that I wasn't as familiar with, that were further afield than, than where I'd been a councillor and where I'd grown up, and finding those same great country people who are very, very uh, solutions and focused about their futures and, and wanting, wanting more and uh, not necessarily expecting it to be done for them, but just wanting support to, to make their own lives better and, and their own communities better and have a future and, and all those sorts of things. It was actually a really lovely experience. And do you think um, bringing such a contest to Mallee last election has changed anything in Mallee since then? Um, yeah, yes and no. Um, yeah, it absolutely did. We, we saw, it was very clear at the last election, um, it, it got messy the last election here in that um, just pretty much as I was announcing, announcing the member I referred to before, he found himself embroiled in a scandal which doesn't need retelling and um, quit. And, and therefore, there was going to be a new nationals candidate and a three-cornered contest. And candidates came from everywhere. I think we had 11 or 12 in the end. And so we got a, we got a lot of attention and a lot of announcements at the last election, some of them sensible, some of them pretty, pretty clearly being knocked out on the back of a coaster in the pub the night before. And some still haven't landed. To be honest, you know, funding announcements from the last election, just local government, whoever was theoretically going to deliver it, weren't remotely ready. So there's still that sort of stuff sitting. So there was some, some sort of tangible dollars at the last election. If I'm honest, I would say I've been disappointed that that hasn't perhaps translated through to during the term. I don't feel like anything much... I don't feel like we've seen more attention during the actual term of government itself by any stretch. Um, and I certainly, unfortunately, we have a local member who still has a reputation for, for not returning emails that ask questions that she doesn't want to be asked across a whole range of things. I'm not just talking a few key curly ones about, uh, you know, I don't, I don't even know, climate change or, or whatever the, the Nats don't want to talk about. But um, yeah, all sorts of stuff, sadly hasn't been responded to. So to be honest, I thought that that might have changed. Um, back in election mode again, yeah, we're seeing a few announcements again, but uh, sadly a lot of them are, are um, if, we, if we get elected. So I definitely think the National Party recognised the threat last time. I, I don't think they've had the culture to respond to that threat in any meaningful behaviour way change. What, what's definitely changed though is there's definitely a greater expectation on the local member than there ever has been before in the conversations I hear in the last term, which I think is really positive. Um, there's been an extraordinary number of candidate forums this time is just one example. And they might be up to seven or eight around the, the entire electorate candidate forums. Um, and people are definitely more interested in, in politics and more open to alternatives. Exactly how that plays out this election, I don't know, but, but there's definitely been a fundamental shift in, in kind of expectation and possibility amongst the general public. So early in February this year, Sophie Baldwin announced her candidacy as an independent and she did it on um, Facebook um, from, from your largest city, the, I believe Mildura is your largest um, city in the electorate. 
Um, Sophie yeah. describes herself on her website page as a mum, a single, a wife, a mum, a single mum, a dairy farmer, a journalist, a CEO, and a water advocate, and says she's not afraid of hard work. She believes rural and regional Australia has been left without a voice while petty party politics destroyed the country. Important for Sophie's campaign and her voter recognition have been endorsements from both you, Ray, and from the independent state MP for Mildura, Ali Kappa. Ray, I understand you're part of some of Sophie's early strategy meetings, that you're a proud supporter and have been regularly asked for advice. Can you tell me about your decision to support and contribute to Sophie's campaign and your experience of being a volunteer rather than a candidate this time? Um, well, I, I was. Um, I, I, I knew that it was going to be challenging for me to run again this election uh, in terms of uh, you know, just, just where it fit into my and my family's life. Um, I was very, very motivated to not let go of the momentum from the last campaign in some way. And it was also, I mean, the, the contest here was complex. There was two independents that, uh, it was three independents, but there was actually two, myself and Jason Modica from Mildura, who got a very similar percentage of the vote. So there was, there was clearly some complexity about how you uh, find all the, you know, votes from across a really, really broad and, and kind of culturally disparate seat into one person. So I actually saw, I was really, I met Sophie, the team met me, her and the team met me basically to pick my brain about, you know, the, the brass tacks of campaigning and what, what, what it takes and what I thought I could have done better and all that sort of stuff. But um, it, I'm, look, it became really clear to me after a very short time after meeting her sometime in the second half of last year, that, um, that she's the kind of human I wanted to represent me. Um, so it was a really easy decision for me to say, well, yeah, I'll very happily help you and endorse you. Um, but I, I guess I also thought there was perhaps something in letting, well, one, I never thought it was about me. I, I just wanted an out, a very outcomes-focused person. I, I described myself reasons for running before as being in lots of ways, pretty pragmatic. I saw in myself a chance, and, and it's so difficult to have that profile across such a large, large seat. There's only so many people out there who, who perhaps are a chance and, and would take it on. Um, so yeah, very happy to support someone else. That was never gonna be an issue. But I also thought that maybe a new person was an opportunity to get away from any perception of a two different types of independent voters that we saw split the vote and just literally not work at the last election. Um, yeah, and whether that's worked or not, we, we won't know for a, a couple of weeks. But, um, but yeah, I, I saw that as an up, upside too. So um, can you describe Sophie's candidacy to us compared to, say, how you and Jason had run last time? Um, she's, um, I mean, not that everyone doesn't, but she's done an enormous work on the ground, which I think you have to in Mali. Um, she seems to have people on her team who are, are well, quite well networked across a large area and has, um, you know, I can't remember how many towns over two or 300 people are in Mali, but it's a big number. It's uh, 
60 or 80 or something like that. So I won't promise she's hit every one of those towns, but she's certainly done the hard yards of, of, of finding, you know, some people to talk to in those communities. Um, she's, um, I think, um, I think I personally ran a pretty modest budgeted campaign last time, and I think we did probably about as good a job as you can with some very smart people on my team with social media, and um, I don't. I don't necessarily think that that could be taken much further. I mean, I got out in the community too. Don't worry about that. But, but um, I, I'm not sure there's much further that can be taken than the sort of nine percentish that that I managed to find. Um, the uh, what else is different? I mean, I guess you know the key feature, and this is um, I can't emphasise more in Mali is where where do you come from? is really, really fundamental. We, we've got, I would divide this seat logically into um, probably five different kind of social slash economic zones. And so it's very um, challenging to find your people outside the zone you live in. And um, we certainly saw that kind of geographical breakdown in votes between myself and Jason at the last election. So. Sophie's from a different zone again, if you like. She's from the, the Northeast River country. Um, I'm from the sort of the Wimmera in the south. Jason was from, from um, Mildura, which is uh, this, this great big shining metropolis that's really genuinely isolated from the rest of Victoria and, and even the rest of this seat to some degree. Um, so where, where you're from is certainly probably as much a feature of... And, where you're from and your ability to break out of where you're from is really probably as much of a defining feature of your campaign as as anything. Um, I, I, beyond that, I, I, I don't know. I, I see lots of similarities in Sophie's campaign and mine. It was a very grassroots. It was very trying to find the real people in communities. Um, I think she's uh, trading heavily on her basic decency as a human being, which, which hopefully shines through. And um, I won't promise I got that over the line, but I'd like to think I'm a basically decent human being. But I, I see that in her in spades. And I, I think that's, yeah, I, that's, that's who I want to vote for anyway. How, how much I reflect the rest of the community, I don't know, but that's who I want to vote for. And do you think um, the, uh, the issues have changed in Mali over the last three years or are they fundamentally the same ones that you're hearing around the traps? Uh, I haven't changed. There's probably been a couple that have escalated in in people's hierarchy of need. Um, the most dramatic one that's popped up, which was sort of perhaps more of a muttering at the last election, but has become really dramatically obvious that the problem in that is the lack of housing and, and, and the dramatic rise in house prices as well. I think people are very conscious that, that it's hard to get employees in this part of the world at the moment. and if you do find an employee, it's, it can be genuinely slim pickings finding them somewhere to live. Like I, I can think of yeah, people with jobs thinking they were going to be living out of their car um, because they've moved towns or, or whatever, taken an opportunity. Um, so the housing's really jumped up the list. Um, I feel like um, people, perhaps, I think it was already a big issue, but I feel like people, and it's perhaps slightly related to that workforce that childcare 
has probably been escalated. A lack of childcare, lack of access to childcare has perhaps been escalated as an issue. Um, and I suspect, and this is probably driven by maybe the more politically engaged people in the community, but um, I think that need for integrity in politics, look, it was already there, but, but, but if you've been watching, if you've been watching this government with any degree of uh, attention to detail in, in the last term, I, I guess it screams that we need to fix, we need to fix politics, or federal politics in Australia. And, and I guess the obvious ticker box for that is an integrity commission, but I guess there's some deeper cultural conversations that sit behind that too. But, you know, a lot of this part of the world is focused on, you know, the really basic needs and declining communities that otherwise could have great opportunities with certain employers, and that's just just access to your your basic health and telecommunications, and it's um it's that stuff is still a really strong focus for people because it is just we're so far behind the eight ball. It's hard not to be focused on those everyday life life things. So Sophie says her donors are individuals and small business supporters from within the electorate and she has not received any funding from Climate 200. So how, in your experience, the last time and this time, does a low-budget all-volunteer campaign work in such a vast rural electorate? Um, it's tough. It's really tough. I, I don't, I'm not privy to Sophie's campaign finances, but... Um, I'm sorry about this. I hope you can't hear this dog in the background. It's staring up a goat. I apologise for that. Um, so my impression is Sophie's perhaps done a better job of fundraising than we did. Um, that was perhaps one we dropped the ball on a, a little bit um, because uh, she's done. You know, I, I'm seeing. I, I, I'm seeing what I would consider perhaps a, a good base level of, of uh, you know billboards and that sort of old-fashioned presence um, marketing from Sophie's campaign and um, whilst I don't think you need to uh, paint the town in, um, in, in Corflute such the same as we're seeing in some of those inner city seats, I do think uh, uh, you know, that degree of presence is, um, of, of physical presence, I guess tells people who are perhaps a bit disconnected from the whole system that you're, you're serious. So I think she's done a great job of, um, of finding and organising um, that stuff, but um, there's a lot of um, you, you need to you need to find people, and I think there's enough great community types around that you you can find people really quite easily who want to talk and want to talk about change and are probably supportive. But um, I do notice a challenge for me, and I certainly notice the same challenge for, for Sophie, and that is that. Most of those people are the president slash secretary of the footy club or on council or on the CMA or whatever it is. And therefore, a huge percentage of them um, really don't feel it like it's appropriate for them to talk publicly about that support. So it, it, does, um, it does make it very challenging to... Um, yeah, it, it's hard. It's, it's hard to... Um, to build that kind of obvious public amount of support that is probably needed for the people who are less engaged because the people who are engaged, such a high percentage of them feel like it's uh, either unethical or dangerous to speak out because of the chances of being punished by uh, you know, a future National Party government or, or, or you know, member. 
perspective, but yeah. So last week, Guardian Australia's Rural and Regional Editor, Gabrielle Chan, uh, coined the phrase, uh, the Barnaby Line, and questioned whether in electorates south of this line, such as Nichols and Mallee, Barnaby Joyce's regional appeal was now in the negative, quote, losing his MPs and candidates more votes than he attracts. What Do you have any thoughts on that? And has Barnaby Joyce been campaigning in Mallee? Uh, we've been graced by Barnaby's presence once, which um, came and visited us. Uh, it was interesting to me that I think the only seats he's visited in Victoria might be Nichols in he and here. I have no doubt he's a negative on the general populace. I can understand why um, he'd be in Nichols because it'd be pretty difficult for a new candidate to um, tell the party leader to <laughs> stay away, you're no good. But um, I was surprised. You know, he certainly hasn't gone to Gippsland. So I was surprised that um, that our local member didn't push back against the Barnaby visit, to be honest. Um, I had an inter I had a friend who's pretty pretty savvy, politically savvy, and, and probably pretty well connected too. And her take is that um, amongst the, the local national party powers that be, they still think Barnaby's great. And they're the ones who have the ear a disproportionate year of the local member. So they think Barnaby's the bee's knees still. The general public thinks he's somewhere between a, a joke and a, and a dangerous sleazebag. But, um, but yeah, so I've no doubt he's a negative, but yes, we have seen him. And um, I don't know, I don't know Northern Australian politics well enough to know if the Barnaby line <laughs> is a real one or not, but um, I suspect it is. And it's, it's certainly a good, um, it's a good turn of phrase. Yeah, a good descriptor. Um, so pre-poll started last Monday. Um, in Mallee in 2019, about 38% of all people who voted in person voted early and nearly 7% of the electorate um, postal voted. And it looks like early voting will be higher this election. What's your experience of pre-poll when you ran in 2019? Um, I think... Um... <laughs> One of the, uh, my, my overwhelming experience of pre-poll is how difficult it is to resource. Um, and again, I, I don't know what numbers of polling booths would be in a, um, uh, you know, another rural seat, let alone, an, an, you know, a suburban seat. But um, my memory says we had four pre-poll booths at the last election. They might not have all gone the full two or three weeks, but, but we had four pre-poll booths, which are an extraordinary amount of, um, of hours required to, to try and effectively man that. And to be honest, we didn't do that as well as we could have. Um, but election day, sort of just the same conversation. I think we've got 80 booths here or we were scheduled for 92 or something like that. It got knocked back to 80 because the AEC couldn't find the staff. So logistics of finding people with time to man, whether it's pre-poll or election day, is pretty extraordinary. I, I think, the, I don't know how it works, but I think someone told me that the um, the people on the pre-poll, the National Party in Horsham are, are somehow paid, vol paid volunteers. Is that a such a thing? Um, I don't know how that works, but um, and, and I only got that second hand. But I, I can I can understand that you know it'd be very challenging even for them. I would have thought to um to resource that. Um, no, I'm hearing some nice stories from people, you know, people who've never met Sophie in their lives are coming up and, and, and giving us some positive feedback. 
Um, and and, and, I, and I, that was probably, yeah, I've probably experienced a bit of that too. And that's a, it's affirming that you're you're getting out there beyond until you until very well the people who you know and and perhaps you've met sort of getting enthusiastic about you on social media or or telling you're doing a great job. But, but when you have complete strangers giving you the thumbs up, I think that's really affirming and 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 um, tells you you're getting somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for um, spending the time with us today, Ray. Um, before we go, is there anything else that you would like to add to the discussion about your experiences or about Mali today? Um, yeah, I think what will be really interesting about this election will be, um, so at the last election, it was effectively three independents ran. Um, two of us got about 9% each and... Um, one other woman got, I think, about 3% of the vote. And at the time, and we're probably being optimistic here, the three of us all um, preferenced each other and hoped that there would be really strong preference flows to, um, to whoever ended up ahead, basically, and that um, there wouldn't be a massive downside in, in that kind of split vote. Um, it was really obvious that didn't work. Um, I, not just... Certainly preference flows didn't work as well as they needed to, but also um, just the sheer logistics of finding that many passionate people to try and actually, you know, whether it be volunteering and, or, or door knocking or, or networking or, or polling day or anything, that split of people was a big challenge. But even if you take that out of the equation, the idea that you can somehow run a candidate from each of these geographic regions and somehow patch them all together into one vote just didn't work at all. So which which basically says to me, you know, <laughs> two of us are running spoiler campaigns effectively at the last election, um, like it or not, you know, that's not to say people weren't idealistic and doing it for the right reasons or whatever, but effectively two of us ran spoiler campaigns and one of them might have been me, I don't know. Um, it's, it will never, you know, it's hard to wash those numbers out in any meaningful way. But, um, yeah, that, that's a really interesting one for Mali. I'm, I'm really glad we've got one prominent independent running. We do have another independent running. Um, I, I, my, my instincts say she will be fairly modest in a primary vote, so maybe that's not going to make a huge difference. But um, it's, there's, there's some, there's got to be a path here for seats like Mali where ego gets put, put aside. And there is one strong candidate, and you know, it's a democracy. Anyone can run, all that sort of stuff. But, but that's a really, really strong and clear message for me and for other people thinking about other seats. Um, yeah, one candidate, even in a seat like Mallee, that's that's so spread out and so difficult to be well known in any one part. Even in a seat, if it, if you can't make multiple candidates work in a seat like Mallee, you can't make it work anywhere. And that's uh, my. My take-home message, yeah. Well, thanks, Ray. I'll be certainly watching Mally with um, a lot of interest on the 21st, and good luck with it all. And thanks very much for spending the time today talking to me. No problem. Thank you, Rachel.